What's going on guys? I'm your host Aaron Lloyd and this is episode 54 of the Creation Grounds. 54 Lego. If you've been rocking with me this long, I really appreciate you and if you're just joining, welcome. Before I get into our next dope guest, I want to encourage you, yes you, to like, share, subscribe, tell people about this podcast that will be inspired, motivated, educated, and all of that. My next guest is a native New Yorker Labyrinth Theater Company member great singer, artist, free spirit, actor, and his name is Neil Tyrone Pritchard. In this episode, we talk about him being a native New Yorker, what, what, what is special about New York. He talks about growing up in New York a little bit. He talks about his Liberian heritage. Both his parents are from Liberia, Liberia Africa. He dropped some jewels on me that I didn't know about Africa and Liberia specifically and the origins of Liberia that I think you'd be really fascinated by. He talks about his first experience with Labyrinth Theater Company. We talk about representation um, and what that did for him and how important that is. He talks about giving back and having his art be of service to others. And um, we talk about a lot. We talk about mental health. That's big in this, this episode. In the black community, particularly, there's a stigma around mental health and talking about mental health, particularly for black men. So I think this was very powerful. I think it's going to help a lot of people because 2020, George Floyd, so many different things going on in the black community, um, being killed at disproportionate rates from COVID and just just a lot. Um, so I think it's a great, great episode to listen to, to hear, be inspired and to heal a little bit and to laugh. Neil likes laughing. We talk about that. A little bit and what what moments really made him laugh in his life so enjoy this episode i hope you're inspired and i hope you connect with neil tyrone pritchard, pritchard. neil tyrone pritchard let go what's going on welcome to another episode of the creation grounds i have native new yorker neil tyrone pritchard on with me what's up neil hey hey um i'm happy to be on also thank you for the native new yorker shout out Shaolin is a part of the five boroughs, although people hate on us all the time. I hear, so. man. Staten Island represent. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So, what's a memory that you have of being a native New Yorker that that'll never leave you? Like, what about New York really does it for you? That's a that's an interesting question. I don't have the. It, it's hard for me to feel romantic about a city that I was uh, born and raised in, but like. I've been here long enough. Oh, I'm going to age myself, but I've been here long enough for like two twin tower bombings, both the one in the like nineties and the two thousands. I've been through most of the AIDS, <laughs> AIDS epidemic. I've been, I've been here definitely through this quarantine. There's no place in the world. Like I'd, I'd rather be. So New York is magical because what New York does is, is gathers both, the best and the worst of everyone around the world and kind of like we all exist in the same place yeah that's facts are you still in staten island yes nice cool so what what's a moment that you think of that's really made you laugh the hardest when's the hardest that you've ever laughed in your life oh hardest i've laughed in my life i'm a laugher i laugh all the time but i think i think i'll <laughs> A moment that sticks out to me that has definitely carried me through the pandemic is um, at the end of 2019, I was doing a run of a show, uh, Halfway Bitches Go Straight to Heaven, and I we did a New Year's Eve show, um, and there was a moment in the show where an actor tripped, <laughs> and I, like, I, I'm such, like, I laugh at the cheapest things, 
and we were on stage and it was a serious moment in the actor trip and me and another actor on stage just couldn't keep it together. Like it took us a good 10 minutes to collect ourselves and then jump back into the scene. So it's probably like the most professional story to tell, but like the one that during this pandemic, every time I see a picture of like the cast, I'm like, <laughs> that happened. Um, <laughs> that happened. And this was with an audience and like, Oh, this was with the full audience. Oh, that's hilarious. Looking in my face as I was crying. <laughs> because I just couldn't, I couldn't keep it together. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing like live theater, man. That's, that's dope. Uh, tell me about the day that you actually began and discovered that you had a love for the arts. When did that begin for you? I don't know if I have like an answer for the beginning. Uh, like I grew up in just like a religious household or spiritual household, people who were connected. And I've always been encouraged to just like follow whatever my calling was. And so I don't remember a time where I wasn't an artist. Like I, I've been doing this for as long as I remember myself with only like small vacations away from the art. So I didn't know that I could and would do anything else other than, than channel my like energy artistically. Nice. And do you think that you attribute that to like being in New York as a native, you think like being around so many arts scenes? Well, I, I think it's a, like, I think there's like a multitude of reasons, right? Like, yes, there is New York, but also I come from a West African household. Like my parents are Liberians and they are storytellers and they're singers and, you know, I feel like I feel like West Africa or Africa as a continent is this like extremely artistic, musical, majestic storytelling like place. And so, you know, people ask me who my teachers are and I'm like, well, if you sit around my dinner table on any given day, you're probably going to get some performance of some sort. Right. So are your, are your parents artists as well? Or? No, not by trade. Not by trade, no, cool. Not by trade, because, you know, of course, although there's this richness of art and storytelling, they also don't always, culturally, they didn't always see it as a career. Nice. So, you know, my mother, my mother had a beautiful singing voice and was hella dramatic. My father sings <laughs> from morning till night. So, you know... They, they, they have jobs, but never decided to pursue it, like, professionally. And for the uh, singing, like, what's what's the top three songs in your Spotify playlist right now that you have on rotation? Um, top three? I'll tell you the last three songs I listened to, because top three, that's hard. That's I'm a tough a music, question. I'm a music person. So the last thing I listened to was an Aretha Franklin song called Don't Let Me Lose This Dream from her Aretha in Paris album. And then there's a jazz singer, Blossom Deary. And in preparation for this, I listened to the song Manhattan. It's just this like 1930s, like ode to all the great things about the five boroughs. And then um, I guess my final one would be a song called Simplicity by this Nigerian artist from the 70s. His name is Prince Nico, and it was my mom's favorite song. Um, and I heard it growing up all the time. So I played those three 
to prepare to sort of like come on and, and bring some good news. I love it. I love it. And what do you believe today that you did not believe 10 years ago? And why do you think you've changed your mind on that? Oh, um, I think I had, I had lots of ideas 10 years ago, 10 years ago. I was 10 years ago. I was 23. Um, little baby. Um, so I, I had, I had an idea of what I wanted and what success looked like. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and now being 33, I know that if I had the success I wanted 10 years ago, I'd be dead because it would have required me to be an entire, an entirely different person right. than I am today. So I think that's, that's it. And also watching other people, um, watching other people around me achieve the things that they thought they wanted and them not, and them finding out that that's like not the answer. That's not the answer to all of their problems. That There's more work that needs to be done before you can be open enough to receive, I guess, certain things. That's beautiful. What, what, what do you mean by that? That's very interesting. Like the difference, do you mean when you say um, a certain level of success, it, it didn't fulfill them in a certain way or give them that? Yeah, I feel like some people, we all have our reasons why we, why we make a career out of art, not why we're artists. Like, I feel like if you were an artist, you're called to do it, but you make a career out of it because you have some sort of, you feel, um, there's some like ulterior motive to it and ulterior doesn't mean bad, but like it fulfills something within you. Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel like some people get into this business and I probably even entered into the business of art in the same thing that like, maybe I was a little insecure and I looked for an industry to validate me in a certain way. Well, if I'm dealing with like an internal insecurity, there's nothing that anyone can give me that will fill that hole. Like that's internal work because you can continue to just like throw things in there. It's like, I need my ego stroked. There's not, they're not enough Instagram likes. They're not enough compliments that will fill that like internal insecurity that you have. I hope that makes sense. It does. That makes total sense. It's, um, I feel like we as humans are humans of more. We always want more. And in that mm-hmm. bottomless pit of, that was beautiful what you just said. Yeah, I understand it. I hope um, listeners do as well. And what, what what do you think interests you most in life? What are you most interested in currently? I mean, going back to what we just, uh, the question you just asked me, I, there came a part, a uh, time in my like life and also my career and my artistry where in order to continue on in, in this walk, in this journey, I had to turn my art into service. Like it had to have a bigger meaning than just stroking my ego. It had to have a bigger meaning than me just getting a paycheck. And so like, I'm interested in art as connection. Um, I'm interested in the younger generation. Like I continue to teach because I know that when I was in high school, when I was in junior high school, I needed me. I needed, I needed a 33 year old me in front of a classroom having conversations, having full conversations, not talking down to me because I was young and you thought I didn't understand, um, and actually listening. Like I needed to see me on stage. I needed to see me in front of a classroom. 
Um, I think if I had more examples of people that looked like me and like moved like me, I might have spent a lot less years in my head about everything that I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the interesting part about that is like I also growing up being a black man and predominantly a black child in predominantly white spaces learned that if I worked really hard and I had this gift and they could recognize it, that people would, people would pay attention to me for what I did. Right. But what I really needed was people to pay attention to me because of who I was, which was just a human being trying to like move through the world and move through puberty and move through high school and transition into adulthood. But, you know, I didn't, I did, that's not my story. And I want to be able to create or continue to foster environments where people who are under 18 or a little over 18 or wherever in their life or their journey feels like there's someone out there listening to them, that there's a platform that they can, they can use to sort of just be, be heard and seen. I love that, man. Yeah, representation is super, super important. Um, Why do you feel like a 33-year-old Neil would be able to help a 23-year-old Neil? Like, what was it that you think... What do you you teach, for for one? Do you just teach teach acting in general? Um, I I, I teach a general art... um, So I teach with the Park Avenue Armory. Um, If you don't know the organization, anyone out there, it's... It's like... It's so in line with my life's mission. Um, It's an organization that speaks to my life's mission in that not only do they foster environments for so many demographics of people, but they put their money where their mouths are, right? Like a lot of the, the barriers between art and people of color is commerce. It's just money. Like we can't get to the theater in the way that we want to, or we can't continue to be artists in the way that we want to because we have bills to pay Mm. and the armory is an organization that has like you know if it wasn't for the armory i don't know where i would be during this pandemic or during like the end of my 20s into my 30s um so i teach um what we do is we create programming based off of the shows that are at the armory so right now Bill T. Jones, um, the choreographer, has a piece called Afterwardsness, which dives into the months of March and March through October of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And it's a dance piece. It's really beautiful. And it'll be back up in May, I believe. But I create programming around that. So what we're doing with my students are they're writing about their quarantine experiences, just like straight narratives. And every week we use a different art form to express it. So one week it'll be poetry based off of that piece of writing that they do in one class. One week it'll be poetry. The next week they'll do scenes. Maybe they'll do a visual art piece or they'll write song lyrics. So I'm kind of like a catch-all, catch-all teaching artist in that like, I do a bunch of things. and every workshop is focused around something that allows them to use that text that they've created to create other pieces of art, to adapt them in any medium. I love that, man. And I love the arts because of that. It's such a powerful form of expression and being able to express things that, or at least I'll speak for myself, that I wasn't always able to express through words. Um, so it's beautiful you're able to do that for, for um, the younger generation coming up. 
tell me tell me about the day that you discovered singing like what what was that for you i know it's like in your family you, you heard it from your your moms and your pops but what was the day that you decided and discovered you had a gift for singing gift for singing um like <laughs> i think you answered the question kind of is like we we're just a singing culture so a little a little bit of history because not very many people are really surprised to hear this history so liberia is a country founded by former american slaves really yeah i i didn't know that lots of lots of people don't lots of people don't so it's like my mother's side of the family were slaves in the united states and went back to liberia went back to africa mm -hmm. and they basically like you know took a plot of land and they're like this is this is Liberia. This is where we're going to be. So a lot of the old Southern American culture, they then took back with them. Mm -hmm. So in my family, we do a lot of singing and it's like acapella singing. It's like field hollers, right? They're old, like gospel hymns with messages. Um, and I'm just sort of like doing research and coming to like, and bringing that up in me, we sang them and it was sort of casual, but now I'm thinking on how, how I can take that out to a larger audience. Um, I guess my gift of singing, my father, I was, my father was 52 when I was born. He's an old, wow. uh, yeah, he's, an, he's, an, he's an old man. So yeah. like the next, the next thing I'll say, like, don't, don't die. I'm the youngest of 14. Yeah. I'm the youngest of 14. It's a blended family. But, <laughs> but um, by the time my father, by the time I was born, my father was like an older man. Mm -hmm. And so what he could share with me is like movies from his past. And if you think like 1987, 52 years back, that's like old movie musicals, right? Yeah. Like old black and white films. So I, I saw black and white movies before I saw colored movies, like being even a child of the 80s. And so I would just imitate these like old movie musicals. Um, and I thought everybody did that until I went to kindergarten and I started singing <laughs> things and they're like, what's that? Um, and I think that's where I realized that not that I had a gift for singing, but that I did something that was different. That like the older teachers were like, how do you know that song? And I'm like, well, you know, my father's a senior citizen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. dope, man. In the Liberia bit, like, it makes sense. I don't know if this is, like, liberation, like you think of that. Is that, like, the root word of Liberia? Like, we're, we're free now, like, like... I think it's, I think it's, like, liberation or liberty, but, like, yes, the root is, is just that. That's wild. I didn't, I didn't know that. Um, cool. Cool, man. And, um, what, who's a singer? You mentioned one in one of the top three that I didn't know that I'm going to check out. Who's a singer that you listen to that you feel like a lot more people should should know but they they don't that you love i i will tell you who i love the singer that probably has had the most influence on on how i sing or my interest is a jazz singer her name is nancy wilson mm -hmm. um she's an older singer as i told you i had an older father who introduced me to all this old music nancy wilson i think she passed away maybe two or three years ago but has something like 40 albums of jazz music, beautiful black woman, like regal. Um, 
groundbreaking, like did music across genres. But yeah, I just, I respond really well to, I respond really well to sweet voices. Mm-hmm. And Nancy Wilson is like a sweet voiced, dramatic jazz singer. Wow. And she was in musicals like Turner classic movies. I've never heard she, of her. She wasn't in, she wasn't in any musicals, but she, she was like a, she's the renowned vocalist. Like she worked all until she worked up until the, up until 10 years ago, I believe. Wow. And she died, I believe at like 80, 83, 84, somewhere around there. Wow. Cool, man. And this is, um, I think this is a super important topic for the black community. It's starting to be spoken about a little bit more, but why do you think mental health in a black community or in general is super important? And why do you think the majority of black men in particular don't talk about mental health? Um, I, I just want to say that I love that we're having this conversation now. And I love that mental health is something that, and I feel like it's really new. Like it's in this quarantine that people started to pay attention to black men's mental health in particular. Um, I think I can, I can talk for me, but I also think that like culturally we have this idea of what it means to be a man. Mm -hmm. And that is sometimes really stifling for any type of growth. Meaning, like, you have to figure it out on all on your own. That's the worst phrase that I've ever heard. I'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. It's like, if, uh, like, yeah, like, I feel like it's taboo culturally as black people. It's taboo for men to ask for help. It's a double taboo for black men to ask for help. But I feel, you know, I feel like it's super important. And I feel like mental health, um, I feel the reason why for so long black men have not sought out mental health, uh, like, like help for mental health is, um, I feel like when you look at the mental health mountain, it seems like impossible to climb. It's like, why start the journey if I'm not going to get anywhere? Mm. Right. But I also feel like the, the mountain looks really large if we're looking anywhere, but within, because, like my goal today is to win the war within because I want to be so strong that whenever the world does what the world does, because the world is going to like do what it does anyways. Like mm-hmm. it just doesn't penetrate because like white supremacy and capitalism survives on our brokenness, specifically black people, specifically black men. Like it literally, it's literally the air that those institutions breathe. Mm-hmm. And, and like my example for it is, you know, I'm not, I do my best with, with seeking out help. I'm doing really well. And so I lost my mom in September mm-hmm. and the first thing that happened was I gained 40 pounds and I bought 80 pairs of shoes before I even thought about going to therapy. Wow. Capitalism loves that shit. Right. Like the more I buy, the more I drink, the more I have set, like it just loves, loves, loves all of those things. It reinforces everything that society thinks about us. When, like I said in the beginning, that like there's nothing physical or outside of me that is going to fill the hole of losing a parent. 
but right. actually talking about it and finding solutions. Um, so yeah, I feel like that's why that's why mental health is is so taboo in the black community and 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 feels really distant for black men. Yeah, yeah, I would uh, definitely agree with that, and, and definitely now with everything that's going on, George Floyd, and you know the recent sister that was just just it's just you know super important. Um, what do you what do you do for your mental health? So so conquering that that space within that you that you referred to it as. What do you do to do that to kind of have the guardrails around your own mind and your and your own mental health? Yeah, um, I love that you talked about guardrails. That's a really good. I'm gonna write that down somewhere because that that feels that feels like what what needs to be done. Like it is. It's difficult to exist. I, I'm not going to use that word. I was going to say it's difficult to exist in this skin. No, I think it's a joy to exist in this skin. I think it's difficult to have people put things on my identity because of the skin that I have, right? I think it's a joy to be black. I just want to make that completely yeah. clear. 100%. That like, <laughs> we love blackness. If I came back, I'd come back as a black man again. Um, but, um, yeah, I think we have to we have to find those those guardrails. We have to put those guardrails in place. And for me, you know, over the past five years of my life, I feel like I've built up a team of people around me that keep my mental health in check, right? Like, uh, having casual friends is not a thing for me in my, like, damn near mid-30s. Like, if we're not serving each other, then 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 we shouldn't be friends. So I have a friend who I go with, who I go to for relationship advice. And I have a friend that I go to when I need to gossip. And I have a friend I go to when I'm having food stuff. And I have a friend that I go to when I'm dealing with issues with my parents. Um, I have a therapist that I go to when I feel like there's something that I can't casually talk about with a friend. Mm -hmm. Um, I got sober six years ago. I have a sponsor in a program for that whole thing. Um, I have my art that, that is not therapy, not therapy, but it's therapeutic. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a barber who, (laughs) the barbershop man, (laughs) people don't, people don't talk about this and people think that it's like a vanity thing. And, Partially it is, but like barbers are, barbers are like therapists, right? Like you come to them and you, you don't even have to talk to them, right? But like they help you feel like your best self yep. without any words. Like if I walk out of a barbershop with a bad haircut, I'm having a bad two weeks. <laughs> I'm having a bad two weeks. No, it's the truth, right? Because I'm having a bad two weeks. I'm having a terrible two weeks. I'm trying to figure out how to like fix this like fucked up hairline situation. I'm only wearing hats, like anything. And that's just like a small image of like anything that stands in the way of my mental stability really has to go. I blocked friends. Mm-hmm. I've curated my Instagram timeline so that it's only pretty pictures and nice words. Right. Like, I don't want to hear everyone's opinions on everything like, it's great that we have these platforms, but, like, I've curated and continue to try to curate spaces that are good for my mental health. 
because once again, the world is what the world is. Mm-hmm. We have our histories. I'm already carrying my own history. I'm carrying what the world wants to put on me. If I have a choice to like pick up nonsense or put it down, I'm definitely going to put it down. I'm putting a blanket over it. I'm throwing it out. Like So yeah, it's it feels a little controlling, but also I think as an adult, it requires a little bit of control in your life to figure out what systems work best for you. I also have a job that I love. Mm-hmm. I have a job that I love and a job that um, that looks out for my mental health. Like we started in the quarantine to take breath workshops together, mm-hmm. which I'm like, never thought on doing a breath workshop. That sounds like white people should. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but... Then I stepped into the room and it's a woman of color who's like, these are ancient traditions. These are of our people Mm -hmm. and they were co-opted by other people. And so like now I'm presenting these to you and let's acknowledge those people. And I'm like, holy shit, the root of like therapy I feel does have roots in like Africa and like the natives. I feel like, yeah, I feel, (laughs) I'm feeling really connected to my ancestors so i love it man i love it and and like you said input is output i don't think it's ridiculous to like curate your instagram and all that did you see um the social dilemma on netflix yeah no yeah like i notifications on all my social is off like it like it's completely off that helps it helps me be intentional when i am on social so like i i I, i'm 100 with you with that like curating and, and making sure you do all that um, is that documentary? Is that documentary worth my time, or did you just give me the cliff notes? It's 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 interesting. It's good. Um, it 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 lets you see what social media, if if you let social media use you as opposed to using it, does, and yeah. what the creators of these platforms, while they meant it for good, how algorithms can like it, it's just, it, it's worth it's worth checking out. It's worth checking Got out. It. Um, I think there, I think there's also a great documentary on Netflix about minimalism. Mm-hmm. I don't think I don't know if that documentary is great, but I followed the creator of that documentary, who has a YouTube channel. I forget his name. And the idea of minimalism is really is is great, right? It's like I have less stuff. Mm-hmm. There's less. De- there's like one or two less decisions I make in a day, and I'm not reliant on stuff. See, I'm not in that place right now. If you look behind me, I have like hats and shoes. And I told you about 80 pairs of shoes when my mom died. Like I have a whole bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, I wonder how, I think like the most elevated version of me probably has a lot less stuff. Yeah. And, and wears the same thing every day. Not the same exact thing, but <laughs> right. like the same types of things every day. Like the... Just, you know, he opened like, up his closet. Like Doug, like <laughs> if we just watch Doug, we might be okay. Doug is the answer. That's that's <laughs> hilarious, man. Labyrinth Theater Company. Tell me about the first time that you walked through those doors. So, kid, Staten Island, African roots, Liberia, singer, Labyrinth Theater. I think it started in the ninety. It was like ninety two. Don't have me up here lying, but it's like ninety two, ninety three, ninety two, ninety two. Yeah. yeah. 92, so you, where? how did you discover that? Tell me about that day you walked through their doors. Yeah, Labyrinth is coming on 30 years um, next year, which is a major accomplishment.
establishment for a theater company in New York, like a company of artists in New York, as opposed to a theater company that just produces. So I, where was, okay, so I was auditioning in the city a lot in my early 20s, and I wasn't booking anything. And I remember going to an audition. This is like my audition horror story. Mm -hmm. I remember going to an audition, and at the time I was only auditioning for musicals because I was like, if <laughs> I had this notion in my head, I was like, well, you know, real theater is only musicals. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I remember auditioning for a musical, and I forget what it was, and I was close to the casting director, and the casting director was like, Oh my god, I love the voice. I hate the guy. To to you? I could I could literally hear them talk to their assistant. Wow. Right? Um and so, you know, my twenty two year old Neil was like heartbroken. I was like, What's wrong with me? I need to and I was like, I'm leaving theater. I made this like big declaration. I'm not gonna be an artist, I'm gonna do something else. Um, I forgot what my other thing was. But I was like, I'm going to do something else. And a friend of mine was like, they're doing readings of plays by this theater company that I'm really interested in. Come with me. I don't want to go alone. And I was like, I really don't feel like seeing any theater. Like, fuck theater. Like, <laughs> you was done with it. <laughs> I, was, I was done, you know. Like I, I was like, I'm never seeing it again. I'm not turning on the TV. I don't want anything to do with the arts. Um... And then he was like, Daphne Rubin Vega's in it. And like, musical theater, Daphne mm -hmm. was in Rent, the original cast. And so I was like, yo, you know, maybe my farewell to theater <laughs> will, be, <laughs> will be seeing this reading. Um, and I went to see it, and the reading, like, no, <laughs> because of where my life is now, the reading changed my life. Yeah. Like if you if you know any part of my story, you know that like Labyrinth has been a huge part of my life for the past decade. So legit, I went to that reading and it changed my life because I sat in the theater and I saw real people. So like in the musical theater world, everybody kind of at the time. I don't want to throw shade at musical theater today because like diversity and blah, 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 mm. everyone looks the same. Um, everyone looked the same, everyone had the same body type, they kind of all sang the same, and I wasn't that, I had my unique thing that I brought, but at the time, there was no Hamilton, mm -hmm. there was no In the Heights, there was no Passing Strange, it was like, either you were in a black musical, or you were the, or you were like a small ensemble member in a white musical, and never featured, unless you were doing like a sassy line, or like doing a high kick, and I didn't do any of that shit mm -hmm. um i went to labyrinth and saw reading there and the people looked like people mm. and the acting looked like it was like conversation and the script i'll never forget it it's a play called lights up on the fade out by patrick lewis the play dealt with like a family dealing with the father who had alzheimer's and i saw people that I knew people from my community. I saw a guy who looked like my butcher. Like I, <laughs> it was, it felt really New York to me and it felt really real. And it also felt attainable. Yeah. Like I didn't have to be anything, but who I was. And if I walked in this space, 
there might be a place for me. Um, and that, I, yeah, that's my first first labyrinth experience walking through those doors. And what I love about what you just said is it like it's, it, it brings me to like what you're doing at the Armory, like what Labyrinth did for you, like the rep- representation, authenticity. That's what you it got chills, man. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. That it's it's so needed and um and and dope. Aaron, Aaron, Aaron like not to turn the mic on to you, but yeah. like when do you when do you go to the theater nowadays even? And we've and, and the conversation is that we've made all this progress, but how many times have you gone to the theater and seen yourself? Or how many times have you gone to the theater and you're like, I can just go to the theater in jeans and sneakers and a hoodie and feel like comfortable, comfortable that no one's watching me, that that this is the place that I belong, that I'm a part of something, right? I might not be on stage, but I'm a part of this collective experience. It's like few and far between. Yeah. Like, and I see theater all the, and I'm in spaces all the time. Even, I even feel like sometimes the spaces that we create as black artists now are becoming a little bit too, a little too exclusive Mm -hmm. for this, like, you know, for the brand of theater that I really connected to that I wanted to be a part of. Um, yeah, so Labyrinth was just always a special place. I think I like, my next interaction with them with them was like going to a party and I was like a theater company that throws a party <laughs> where I could like get drunk off my ass and like put my hands in people's hair and sing <laughs> Bob Marley. I found my home. This is, <laughs> this is it. Sounds like a good time, man. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. And you might have actually already answered this question about what makes Labyrinth special, and it's just the, the representation, authenticity, you see real people, you relate, it's the community. Um, is there anything that I've missed? Anything else that makes Labyrinth special? And also, go 30 years. They're, they're about yeah. to approach 30 years. Um, what else? What else makes Labyrinth Theater special? Well, I think I think Labyrinth represents a New York that the theater community no longer exists. No, I'm not even talking about like an art form. I'm talking about a, a specific time in New York that the theater community just doesn't. We've become too. We've become a little too corporate. We've become a little too polished. A little too posh. It's like when you look at the roster of people who were lab members in the early days. I mean, when you look at anyone who's on the lab roster, there's. There, there, there's something, there's something unique about about them. There's something a little raw, a little edgy. Like we're not the, and some, some of us, some people have gone to grad school, right? Like that's no shade or no not, but the majority of the people who we know as names that have come out of that theater company have learned to act on stage, have learned to write on, like. Yeah, have learned to write in the company, have learned to produce in the company. It's, I, I really, that's encouraging to me. That's encouraging to me because I know what my journey has been like. And I don't know if Labyrinth was another theater company. If I didn't see Labyrinth at that time, that I would have continued on the journey of being, being an artist. Yeah. Because I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to jump into a pool that I knew I couldn't swim in, you know? 100%.
and uh, what do you desire to do in your career next? Um, or what do you, yeah, what do you want to do in your career next when theater eventually does come back? I know they're talking about certain capacities and things, but it could be singing. Like, do you want to, I feel like you, you could put on a really dope one man show. I feel like, I don't know if you. Bless you. Um, <laughs> imagine like a nine, like sixty minutes of me on stage. I think like after minute five, I'll get hella awkward. Um, no, I, I've thought about I've thought about doing a one man play for a while, um, based off of my relationship with my father and Liberia. You know, the just duality of me being me being who I am in the world and him being who he was in the world. He has such a rich history, which I'll say for the one man show mm-hmm. when it happens. Um, as far as career stuff, I, I'm really, I'm bad. I'm bad with like career goals because nothing, nothing in the career of arts is linear. Right. Like I am a person who's like, I want to continue to be of service in the capacities that I've been in. But I also think like next next career move, next thing that I desire is to not only work here in the United States. I feel like there's an element of me that's like international. Mm-hmm. That I like go to Morocco and do some art, and I go to like Bangladesh and do some art, and and carry my music and carry my theater and carry my art to other places, and then come back to New York and do a run of a show, do a movie, you know, like yeah, I'm 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 really open, but I but I do think that it's an international it's an international thing. I'd love to work in London. I'd love. I'd love to work in Russia. I just, I really like people. Like I'm really passionate about people, about being in spaces with people, about talking with people, about art, about life. I'm just, I'm pretty open, but that I think that's my thing, just traveling more with art. Yeah, kind of like a, a free spirit. Um, yeah. I love that. And when I ask all my guests this, when you think of the word creative, who comes to mind for you and why? <laughs> I creative. I feel like if I, I don't feel like I can pick one person. I feel like we would be on this for the next seven <laughs> hours if I talked about everyone I wanted to and why. But I'll say that like, who. I'm also trying not to give you a corny answer, but I'm going to give you a corny answer. I'm going to give you a corny answer. Um, Maybe not so corny, but I feel like when I think on creative, I think of God and I think of New York. I love that. God, because, you know, clearly I grew up hearing that like God has a plan. I'm like, what is this plan? (laughs) What is that? So like, tell me, so whisper in my ear, tell me something. Just so I can like relax a little, God, like God, tell me something, give me some, some sort of like sign as to what all of this means. Mm-hmm. And New York, because I think like we started the like we started the interview. I've watched New York reinvent herself over and over and over again, and and I don't think there are any signs of New York slowing down. 
don't like, know. people can leave New York. Like, during the pandemic, people were like, I'm going home, or I'm moving to L.A. I'm like, okay, good riddance. The city's <laughs> still going to go on without you. Like, it's been going on before. <laughs> when you were in Kansas 15 years ago, New York was still here and mm-hmm. still popping. So, like, she don't need you. <laughs> go. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I think New York, New York, I'm always inspired by this city. I think New York also carries a cachet around the world. When people here in New York, they're like, oh, let's let's listen to him. He's from New York. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I love New York. <laughs> so do I. I'm not a native, man, but I do I do love New York, man. Where, where can people connect with you? Um, how can people find out about the Armory? Maybe young people that are listening if they're not already involved. Um, where, yeah, all, all that information. Okay, so I... <laughs> I'm not one of, like, I wish, I wish I was more of an adult and had, like, all the new agey things, like, websites and cards and things, but I don't. I have a headshot resume and a good reputation. Uh-huh. Uh, um, so, <laughs> this, I hope this doesn't come off as, a, as, as whatever, but literally Google me. Mm-hmm. I am the only person with this collection, the odd collection of names, Neil Tyrone Pritchard. Mm-hmm. And you can find my social media stuff and, and whoever is out there, reach out to me. I love, once again, I love people. I'm open to answering questions. Google the Park Avenue Armory. There's lots of literature on the website. And if you need any guidance on, on anything else, also reach out to me for that. And Labyrinth Theater is www.labtheater.org. Um, and once again, you could reach out to me to ask me questions about any of those things. Because I feel like I would know something about them. And if I can't answer your questions, I know people who will be able to answer them. Neil Tyrone Pritchard, man, it's been a pleasure. It's been such a pleasure.